Hello and welcome to the Unreasonable Podcast where we talk about venture capital and things that move the world and here in Asia. My name is Vishal from 500 Global and with me are two other very unreasonable folks. I've got Hien Go from Open Space Ventures. Hello, Hien. Very good. Keep going. I'm glad you've stopped laughing and singing. And Michael Blakey uh, from Cocoon Capital and as he hates us saying this, angel investor extraordinaire. It's still in the tagline, Michael. But today is not a podcast <laughs> about you, you, Mike, or you, Hien. Today is a podcast about our very special guest, Gwendolyn Regina, a.k.a. Gwendy. No, yeah. do not welcome, call me Gwendy. Welcome, welcome to the show. I remember, Gwen, you were one of the first EIRs at EF at that time. What's an EIR? An entrepreneur in residence. Thank you, the very helpful Michael Blakey. Just, just so I'll be helpful, no, you know. No, it's great. Don't know EIR. It's great. It's great. It's great. Seriously advising and part-time co-founding companies over there as an EIR. She then moved to Facebook, now known as Meta, where she was the head of VC partnerships, helping work with startups all across the region. At the same time, actively in, in angel investing under ghi.vc, companies that we may all be familiar with like Shopback. And now in the nth iteration of Gwendy, she is the investment director at BNB Chain Fund, which is Binance's $1 billion donation to the BNB chain and Web3 community. Now, these days, Gwen doesn't just do that. In her spare time, Hien, Hien's just shocked. His mouth's dropped. He's no, like, I'm just shocked because Gwen's got that look like you have put me on such a big pedestal. I know, I know. Like she's, she's I know, literally I know. upset Gwen, about but this is, right now. This is nuts. But you, you know, know what? These are facts. I mean, I mean yeah, yeah, these, these are, are facts. facts. These are facts. Gwen, you got to just live it, man. It's facts. Don't <laughs> yeah. give me that so look. <laughs> and on top of all of this, she's running this sort of like philosophy, I don't know what to call it, called On Questions, which asks the question, what is a good question? which is phenomenally interesting. It's a meta question. Uh, you know who does not know what's a good question? Hien and Michael. <laughs> You're about to find that out in a very horses. I think we've got to let Gwen start us off on yeah. that journey because Gwen, like many illustrious people from that ilk, was part of the National University of Singapore's NOC overseas program. Gwen, why didn't you take us away on that? journey of yours that started into entrepreneurship with that. Thank you, Vishal. That was really, really um, a long introduction. I feel honored to be here. So NOC is a program from yeah, NUS, like you said, National University of Singapore. And it basically sends students overseas to tech hubs, essentially. So I spent a year in Silicon Valley, full-time internship and part-time studies at Stanford. And so that was my first time living overseas in 2005 to 2006, being immersed in tech mecca, essentially, going to networking events, meeting people, meeting entrepreneurs, VCs, and that was like a whirlwind of an experience. But I also chose Silicon Valley because it was close to the mountains and close to the sea. So I could go snowboarding mm, beautiful. and go surfing. Mm. Beautiful. What was the tech ecosystem in Singapore like in 2005? Was it creative nomad period or beyond that? Or was there anything else happening? Like fetus level maybe? Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Wait, Hien, you were there. It's quite enough. Wait, two, did you say 2005? Yes, yeah. 2005. I, I started Asian Food Channel in 2004. I didn't even know we had a tech ecosystem. Exactly, oh. right? I was like struggling. It yeah. wasn't ex in existence wow. precisely. Yeah, yeah. So there's nothing going on. And which is why I co-founded SG Entrepreneurs. Because I thought that startups back then, you needed to be visible to potential customers and investors online. Yeah, you know, yeah. Streets Times, you know, mass media back then wouldn't cover you. Unless you were like, you know, a big telco doing something. So it was basically Sim Wong Hu and Hien. That was no, the no, Sim Wong was 2001. That, <laughs> that was even oh, earlier. 1999. Oh, sorry, sorry. Sorry. Earlier. And I was unfortunately yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but can I give a bit of shout out? Because yes. when I transitioned from being an entrepreneur to trying to get into the scene, SG Entrepreneurs, Entrepreneurs that website, you, Bernard Leong, Hugh Mason, these were guys and girls which I was like, I need to hang out with. You guys were the cool kids. No, seriously. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, darn it. I'm, I'm just like stuck in my media bubble. And I still remember that was why I ended up camping out at JFDI. And it was like, you know, a totally different universe. But Gwen was my first. Ooh. Ooh. Wait, Michael, yes. what? <laughs> <laughs> when I moved out here in 2013, I had two names. One, the first one was Hugh Mason, 
which because of him, I met both my business partner, Will Klipkin, and obviously this lovely... Ruffian. Ruff, yeah, I'm Thank trying you. to think of it. Yes, Ian. <laughs> and then the other one was yours. And I reached out to you. And what was nice is like, I'm sure you get reached out, you know, a lot of people reach out to you and it's a totally random bloke says, hey, I've got your name from this person in the UK. Can uh, we meet up? Are you like legit, right? I'm it, like, are you some stalker, right? Yeah. And you were like, okay, let's meet in a public place. Let's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I don't Always know a good about call this. The Michael <laughs> so it was like, meeting, it was like uh, the Starbucks over at Buena Vista and we met. And it was, it's on two floors, and you were working away on the second floor. So I came up and introduced myself. He said, oh, let's go and grab a coffee. So we went downstairs, and the whole time I was having a heart attack because you left your handbag and wallet and laptop on the table. Now, I'd only been in Singapore for a couple of days. But, you know, obviously in the UK, if that had happened, by the time you got to the bottom of the stairs, somebody would run off with your Swiped bag. It, right? yeah. So the whole time we were there and you were chatting to me and like asking me a bunch of questions, I couldn't, I can't remember a single thing that you said because I was so worried about, okay, we're going to go up and then no, somebody would make their back. <laughs> so, Singapore is so safe, my gosh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's hard when you're coming from the UK and you were just really nice. I, I just want to say that is that you introduced me, you gave me a kind of like a couple of names that I could actually follow up with and you always like took my phone calls and answered any questions that I had so I was really happy when you agreed to actually uh, come on come on here oh my so god that. that's such a long time ago my gosh thanks yes. for the story yeah well it's, that is, it's true though and I think one of the things is is that what goes around comes around this uh, one of the nice things about the ecosystem that we've got here is people just want to help others and I think it's a really important point that yeah, no, I, I, I think the, the, the great thing about the ecosystem is it's so layered, right? You have folks like you, me, Vishal, but you also have Gwen. And, you know, honest to truth, like we haven't seen you for a long time because all of us have been running around like headless chickens. And then because of this podcast, we said we should go call up Gwen. And then Gwen goes, yeah, we should. Why, why haven't we met? And so the ecosystem has got this depth, which I think people don't realize is actually the connective tissue that make all these decisions happen, all these billion dollar, hopefully billion dollar companies because of the trust level. So Silicon Valley has it and now Singapore So has quick it. question on yeah. that, Gwen. Do you think it's still like that? Ooh, is it Ooh, still like question. that? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Okay. Yeah, but here, and actually, that's a really good point, right? We haven't seen each other in like years, but we've been yeah. texting, right? I texted Vishal. Yep. I spoke at a recent 500 event. We've been texting Michael right, yep. on, on deals. Which means that when you text, it's really fast. There is no, and it's like, it's just, yeah. yeah. The trust is there. The trust yeah. is yeah. there, right? Yeah. From years of friendship, right? That's yeah. exactly that's the point. In the true. ecosystem, yeah. But no, I agree. I mean, the tenure of everybody, right? You know, Gwen, all of us, we've been doing this for. Ooh, decade plus, and it's really nice. You know, I think there's a lot of connectivity in the ecosystem, and deals get done. It's true. Business gets done. You know, you at Facebook, and then you you call my team and say, "Hey, I'm here," and then I quickly go like, "Yeah, good job, Gwen's there," yeah. and we have some connectivity to a very large uh, American organization, and I think that works globally. So this ecosystem works. Yeah, what? so Vishal, I didn't answer your question. Yes. Whether it's still true today. I think it yes. is, right? So I think the tech startup ecosystem, I would say globally, has always been very welcoming because you're true. all in the trenches together. But I think especially here, you, you stack relationships up upon relationships. Yeah. And then it's like, because you introduced me, you're like a Gwen or a Mike, you know, you should meet this person. Because I know you, I would do it, right? Yeah, So that's I think true. that extends this, like, uh, you know, cascading yeah. effect. Sometimes I feel like, I guess I guess sometimes I feel I'm stretched too thin and I'm not taking uh, introductions. Oh, and completely, stuff completely. I feel so terrible. Of, yeah. But there's so many more participants in the ecosystem as well for others to speak with. So I guess, you know, it sort of diversifies out. I got a question for Gwen. Yes. Because now you hang out with all these Web3 people who've just turned <laughs> up in the past 24 months. <laughs> How does that feel, right? And also, they have their own networks, which you kind of have to bust in as well, right? That's kind of true. That's kind of true. Web3. Ooh, I would say the Web3 ecosystem is similar in the sense that if you talk about the trust and and the welcoming, I think there's some aspect of that. But at the same time, it is kind of like an ecosystem where if you're not part of it, the language used it's very different, right? Because just there's so much going on in the Web3 space. And they don't dumb it down, right? They go straight in. You like drinking out of a fire hose. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And also because most of the people in Web3 now are really the cutting edge of technology, right? You have to understand tech to a fairly 
medium level. Do you see kind of the Web3 ecosystem as yeah. separate Ooh. from the startup, mm. kind of like traditional startup you ecosystem? Web2? That's a okay, Web2. Well, it's an Shut evolution. Up. Let's look at an X axis and a Y axis. It's an evolution. It's not super step change in that, right? But at the same time, it is a step change. So it's like very oxymoronic almost, right? But to answer your question, Michael, I think the crowds are still really quite different. You know, I've been to a few uh, Web3 conferences. At this point now, quite few overlap, very few overlap with like our Web2 tech startup conferences. But slowly I'm seeing more and more Web2 VC friends, startup friends kind of reaching out like, hey, uh, can we, on? I know, do we think the coffees and I'm ignoring a lot of them because I'm not keeping up with my WhatsApp <laughs> messages and all, but they are trying to find out, right? So it's very interesting because I think people are looking at Web3 now as not just a Web3 paradigm, but as tech that is just the next wave. And this is how yeah. I truly see it. So I always say that for me, I like catalyzing and amplifying paradigm shifts. And for me, you know, when I first saw Bitcoin in 2010, my mind was blown. I was like, this is how money should be transferred. So Gwen, one of the things that sometimes throws people off is, you know, if you looked at your LinkedIn profile, you look like you've done many, many different things. Is there like a common like thread or a North Star to a lot of the things you've done? And, and that will really kind of give a lot of people a sense of why you do the things you do. Thanks, Ian. Yeah, you're right. People have remarked to me like, wait, wait, I don't understand. I can't box you in. I can't label you, right? Which I guess at first it was like, it's a bit sad, but hey, I, I'm on my own, right? I follow my curiosity and my journey. So yeah, for me, the thread has always been technology, I would say. And for lack of a better word again, possibilities of what can be out there. So when I first, again, I'm not technical now, but when I first got introduced to, to coding, I, I, I was impressed by this world where you could type out random letters onto your computer and create a 3D virtual world with a virtual train station. I was impressed with how you could basically create a whole new world and also add dimensionality to what you were doing. So for me, when I look back at my, my journey, I've always been following where tech led me and also where and how it connects the world. So, so how did tech lead you to Paris? Usually ooh. food leads me to Paris. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm not a foodie, Hien. I know you're a foodie, Asian food channel, right? So, so yeah, I, I'm not a foodie, but for Paris was because I started learning French when I was 12 and I wanted to be fluent in French. And, and so I took myself to Paris so that I could live and breathe French, live and work in French. So at the beginning of the year, I was conversing maybe 20, 30% of work or conversations in French. And by the end of the year, I was, I, I would say close to 99%. Of, of, course, of course, grammatically, I'll be making mistakes, right? Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely making mistakes. But why was French so important to you? French is important to me because for me, I love connecting with people in general. But second was because I think when you speak a different language, you access a different part of yourself. You access a different part of human nature and you just see the world differently. And so what's interesting for me about French was that I started learning French when I was 12 in school. And why I started learning French was two things. One, I love safaris in Africa. I would love to go there. And, and Africa is partly Francophone, speaking French. Second was I thought that Africa would be an you know, important continent, you know, economically, you know, work-wise at some point in the future. And I wanted for that to be part of my future. You know, it sounds like you really take a very long view. I would like to think so. I would like to think so. I mean, I don't like try to always like, it's just me, I it's think. Like, it comes intuitively. Yeah. Oh, I, interesting. I it's just, as an Englishman, I just find it so hard for someone to speak <laughs> nicely about the French. I, I can't, I can't. <laughs> it's just, it's really, but, you know, g g looking at the kind of your move to France, that, that was when you, you kind of left the comfort, shall we say, of Mashable, where you, you'd helped bring Mashable to APAC. And then you kind of moved, when you went to France, you, you became an EIR in Entrepreneur First. I think they were just setting up there. So it was, was it kind of like going back into a startup? But what made you jump at that role in particular? And what did you take out of it? 
Yeah, I love that. You're absolutely right. When I joined, it was the first batch. Exactly. It was starting Paris. So it was kind of interesting, right? It was like kind of starting up something, you know, being part of like a new team, team on the ground, you know, starting something new. And the role was super interesting to me because it was super deep tech. You're working with PhDs, postdocs, you know, with from vastly different fields, everything from like, you know, bioengineering to AI to quantum computing, you know, people, you know, talking about robotics, you know, using it, anything from like medical uh, robotics to, to picking tomatoes from a farm, you know, and stuff like that. I remember something you said was that you were a physicist and you had lost the connection with that type of work. Well, yeah, I wanted to talk to all these super people deep in the trenches and their fields and be inspired by their journeys. I, I would understand only a small portion of it, right? Because again, these are very technical subjects. But for me, it's amazing because it felt like I was studying again to a certain extent. And uh, yeah, it's like, again, in parallel universe, I would have gone down that path, but unfortunately, I'm not right now. I was going to say, did you get... You know, because you started your, your your career off as an entrepreneur. And as you said, you started very early, but then you were in a very lucky position is that you got acquired. So a successful entrepreneur, which is always nice. And, and then you kind of went to work for the corporate and then you kind of jumped back in to kind of be surrounded by entrepreneurs. Did you ever get tempted to say, actually, th this is this is what I want to be. I want to become a founder again. Yeah, I love that. For me, the, the entrepreneurial spirit, I think, has always been inside me. So even the corporate roles I have, quote unquote, right? Like Mashable, I joined when I was 150 people, Series B. I was bringing Mashable to Asia Pacific. I was, for lack of a better word, entrepreneur. And even at Facebook uh, slash Meta, I was trying to build a new startup and VC program with a different eye from just the developers. I was an entrepreneur as well. So I've, I've never taken roles where it's the same... I guess the same thing daily. There's always a lot of creation in my roles, always bringing something new, always aspects of zero to one. So do you, do you suffer from a low boredom threshold then? Oh, boredom threshold. Oh my gosh, that's a great one. Ooh, yes. I, my mind needs to be working all the time. She's, she's been sitting you, here with us for the last four hours, Michael. Like, that's uh, true. She's got a pretty but high we pressure. are absolutely charming. I, I mean, I well, I am, so I don't know you two, maybe not so much. You know, and I'm becoming well oh. for myself. But then, but then what's interesting is <laughs> you took a big jump. You left, I guess at the time it was Facebook, and joined BNB. What made that, that jump and what, what excited you about what I know we've talked a little bit about it, but what really kind of as a role said, this is something that is really going to challenge me and something that I really believe in. Yeah. So in 2017, when after I left Mashable, I was doing a few things. I was taking a sabbatical, but also doing a lot of fun projects, right? So I was not not doing anything. And back then I was already trying to do a blockchain startup actually. So at that point in time, I had started getting back into blockchain and crypto. And for me, it was like, yes, this is it. I really want to do something with the tech. I want to build something. I want to build use cases. I was looking at identity as a core infrastructure layer or infrastructure protocol. And so it didn't go anywhere, you know. Fast forward four years after, I was at Facebook back then, uh, now called Meta. I was like, okay, I've built up this whole thing at Facebook. I'm looking at crypto again. I'm st still been dabbling over the last four years. And I'm like, this is it. I have to go full time into Web3. If not, it's too late. Because I've, again, I saw this in 2010. Again, I, for seven years, I didn't touch it. But I saw this so early. It was going, a lot of things were being built in 2017 already. And over the last, from 2017 to 20, 2021, there was a lot of things going on. And I was like, this is it. Super lot of momentum. I have to get in. So, I was looking at the space and this role wasn't advertised. I was talking to the teams. And what was interesting was that they listened to who I was. They listened to my background they listened to what I wanted. And they're like, hey, I think there's this perfect place you can be in, right? A perfect place you can play. So there wasn't, I wasn't responding to any specific JD, actually. It was just a, a conversation that really led on to this role. But can I ask a question? Sorry, just 2017. You said you kind of got back into it. What in particular did you see that made you say, this is the time? You know, was there anything that changed? 2017, 
was the previous wave where you saw a lot of, if you all of us remember ICOs, right? Oh God, oh, yes. I know. Like the- <laughs> Fuck, Vishal, Vishal was all into that, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> the new IPOs. Yeah, the VCO, Vishal yes. coin offering. Shaves. Uh- Wait, do you really do a Vishal coin no, offering? No, no, no. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. When you need to comment about his hair at least no. once in this part, no. Is that the usual, you yeah, know? Yeah, that in the car. Like, I have perfectly normal hair. <laughs> so in 2017, I left taking a sabbatical, and as all people on sabbatical studio read a lot. I think. And so I was reading a lot and still like surfing the web. And, and again, I'm always looking at what's in tech, right? And I just saw a lot of things happening. People like tokens and coin prices are going up. There was a lot of more hype from the financial speculation perspective as well. So for sure that took retail hype, right? And so I, I talked to a lot of friends and a lot of these friends are also developers who are also very deep in the space. And so and I catching up with them, they were like, you know, telling me more about these stuff, you know, what's going on. And that's hearing from a developer's perspective, which again, is they are really at the forefront. They are creating and building the new world. So in talking and catching up with some of them, you know, I was getting back into like learning more about the space. So this wasn't one particular thing, I think, right? But it was a collective kind of groundswell or wave that with many other people just brought into that space, I was brought back into that space. And so from my point of view, it's like, again, I, I, I would like to think that I like to create and build and the entrepreneurial spirit. So I was looking at what's needed and I went a few directions. I, I brainstormed some ideas. I had a a lot of sit downs with with friends with builders and yeah we we just you know bring some ideas to kind of build you said you were kind of looking to do your own startup in this space why didn't you go ahead with it i tried and my co-founder and i at a point in time we had different visions right as as many co-founder breakups do at entrepreneur first i saw a lot of i i was i was catalyzing a lot of these breakups as well right because i was encouraging like bad teams to break up so same thing right i mean people co-founding teams break up all the time and so my my co-founder and i we didn't see eye to eye on certain stuff so wasn't a real fit in terms of the visions and working styles so so yeah and so for me then when that journey ended i was like okay it's not super easy for me, especially as a non-technical person, to build something on my own. And also use cases were still being built, right? Because at that point, especially in 2017, what was most needed in the building was, I would say, was more technical infrastructure. Again, Web3 was still so super nascent back then, still nascent now, but even more nascent back then, which meant that you needed more tech knowledge to build rather than more business-y, you know, BD kind of skill sets, right? Which where I would come in more. So I didn't have that. So from my point of view, I was like, okay, maybe this founding journey is not right for me right now. I do not have the requisite skills as to contribute significantly and meaningfully to the space. So I took myself out of the picture and then I went to Paris. I joined Entrepreneur First. Exactly. Let, me, let me ask you this question though, right? Like, there's, so there are two questions that I have from this. First is, what is legitimacy and authority in the Web3 paradigm? So you're showing up at one of these events, you're trying to break into these communities. What do you show to demonstrate that legitimacy if you're coming from a different universe? Some would say a very expensive NFT. There we go. Oh gosh. Really? I, oh, that's I mean, how you do it. Oh, I'm sure you have. Oh, come on. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> no wallets, uh, no, no wallet no addresses comment. here. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I, I half joke, right? But yeah, that's one way you, you throw money down if especially, you know, like you, you own a very expensive one. But I think the true legitimacy is that if you were early, I think time is more of a more important factor here, right? So, I mean, so for me, even the fact that I saw Bitcoin in 2010, like I, I wouldn't call myself like OG at all because for the first seven years of Bitcoin, I was busy running my own companies, right? Plural. And I just was just head downs and, you know, surviving and my stuff, right? That I just left Bitcoin away. I only started really getting back into it in 2016, 2017. So, so for me, and, you know, it's like, I saw it, but I, in a sense, I kind of feel like I also missed it, right? So I think when you look at legitimacy right now, it's how early you were, sure. But at the same time, I think 
I don't want time to be a factor to alienate newcomers, right? Because at this point, we want the world, when I say we are so pompously like Web3 world, the Web3 world, the community, we want like Web2 people, more people to join in. So I think at this point, it's more like acknowledging that you might be new to this, but it's okay to pick an area that you're interested in, that you feel that has legs in the future, and you dive into it, right? And it's going to be very technical at the beginning. You're going to be like lost, you know, but- and you got to start somewhere, basically. Start somewhere, exactly. And it's going to be huge. What, you know, Gwen, one of the things that you said <laughs> earlier really stood out, which is you said that you catalyze paradigm shifts. And I guess I've seen, you know, looking at this history of yours where you were in media and tech journalism in Southeast Asia before that was a thing in 2005, and you were building companies in that space. Then you were angel investing and doing VC before that was a big thing in the early stage of the ecosystem. You then moved on to be an EIR very early on into the concept of having entrepreneurs in residence in Southeast Asia. And then with one eye on crypto and Web3 all the way, you know, from a decade ago, you're now really fully embracing in this ecosystem. How are you seeing these changes before everyone else's? Vishal, I mean, I, I don't know, man. I, I would like to think I, I, I catalyze and amplify, but you know, I, I, I hope so. I try to live that, right? Because I really love tech. For me, it's always about the future. I, my mind is spent on a daily basis imagining the future. I'm a physics geek. I, in my parallel universe, I would be a quantum physicist. In another parallel universe, I would be a coder, right? Another parallel universe, I'll be a dancer, maybe. In this parallel universe, for me, I'm just led by my curiosity. So for me, how is that, you know, tech shifting or paradigm shifting? It's only when you can look backwards and like, oh my God, yeah. So, so fun fact, I, I started looking, so I taught myself coding when I was 12. I'm not technical now, like zero technical, right? But I was so interested in it because I had my laptop, my first computer, not a laptop, sorry, desktop, right? Back a long time ago. And I was just surfing the internet. I saw a virtual train station with my keyboard, the up and down arrows, left and right arrows. I moved my avatar around. It was running around, not just walking. I was like hooked. That was when I was like, oh my God, what is this 3D space, right? So I wanted to create a world. I'm like, this is, this is 3D on 2D, essentially. It was like adding another dimension. So always when I look at the world, it's like, how can you add dimensionality to what you're doing? How can you add possibilities, right? Create so for a new me, universe, basically, instead exactly, of dealing with that. Exactly, right? You, with, with technology, it opens up, especially fundamental tech, it opens up new possibilities. And for me, I'm always led by that. So when I look at what interested me, I just really allow myself to be led by that. So a question leading on that, like fast forward now to 2022. Where do you think, you know, where do you think the future lies? What, what are you seeing now that's getting you excited that you think we're, we're moving towards? Two things. One is that when you look at a Web2 world, you already had creators improvising upon each other. You had all the memes, you had TikTok, whatever, reels, Instagram reels and stuff like that, right? So there was an abundance of content because of creators creating content upon one, one another's, another's content. In Web3, you have not just creator abundance, but you also have builders and developers abundance. So something I call improvisational abundance. What this means is that Web3 takes open source to another level altogether. It's a step change. Now with composability, with like app primitives, you can create new apps slash decentralized apps upon each other. So you see now this Cambrian explosion of, you know, developers now building like, like Legos of like new dApps slash apps, you know, upon each other. And for me, that's interesting because what can this enable? This can enable a new world where I don't know what I don't know, honestly. So this excites me greatly. So Gwen, we have to ask the question, right? You know, you are now full-time with BNB Chain. How does BNB Chain actually activate the Web3 and DAO and all these NFTs, right? Oh, I love activate the Web3, right? So <laughs> BNB Chain is a programmable blockchain. So think about it as a platform and people can build decentralized apps on top of it. So analogy I often use is this, right? You have a railway track. The railway track is BNB Chain. You have trains on top of the railway track. These are dApps, decentralized apps. When a user goes up and down the train, when they enter and exit the train, they have to pay a gas fee. On BNB chain, it costs anywhere from like 30 cents to 50 cents, right, on a high. And 
if you bought a train, you take the train, the railways allow you to go to places, essentially. So for BNB chain, we are one of the largest programmable blockchains. In terms of users, we're the largest, one more than 1 million daily actives. And we have more than 1,300 dApps currently on, on our railway. What's the famous chain. one that you, that, that you have on the BNB chain? So Venus is a lending protocol. Think about it like savings in a Web2 world, right? We have others like Starsharks, which is a gaming uh, dApp and many others. So in terms of BNB chain, for us, it's really looking at how can we bring on mass crypto adoption? really to bringing the first 1 billion users to crypto. So at this point, there's estimates in, of people in the Web3 world, anywhere from like 100 million to 300 people in, in Web3, which is, again, as we all know, is just a small percentage of the global world's population, right? So the question then is that if you truly believe in Web3 as a paradigm shift, as an enabler of future use cases and the new world, which I firmly do, then the question then is that what can enable us to, to cross a chasm and to make Web3 easy for, for Web2 retail users or, or a mass retail user to use? Because Web3, frankly, now it's, it's hard to use. And it's, it's a lot of security exploits, right? Because it's, it's not easy. One of the, maybe for, for the benefit of our listeners, is a, is a good way to conceptualize what you know, the BNB chain is. It's is one of the blockchains that exists out there, like Ethereum, like Ethereum, yeah, exactly. Or many of the others that exist. And a dApp is like building an app on the BNB chain. chain. Yeah, on the so another anal analogy I use is app stores. Yes. You have the Apple App Store, the Android the App Store. Android, yep. Think about it so like- this is the Binance App, app Store. BNB chain app store, exactly. Chain app store. Exactly, yeah. So, so essentially now, you know, when you go to the Apple App Store, Android App Store, you are scrolling through a bunch of, you know, like games or apps, right, to download. Same thing on BNB chain. You can go to, um, we have a few sites that displays the projects that are there and you can select and, and try it out. Okay, so one quick question, which is what is the advantage of using the BNB chain versus all other chains that exist? Is it the mother chain to rule them all? Well, I would like to think so. I'm biased, obviously. So I would say that all the different chains, we are growing the pie. I think that's most important. We need to remember that. Crypto is still really young. But second, why BNB chain is good for many different reasons is that over the last year and a half or so, we haven't gone down. We are inexpensive compared to like Ethereum, for example. We talked about Ethereum just uh, earlier. But again, average of 30 cents, right? The so, gas fees, basically. Exactly, the, okay. the transaction fees, right? Yes. Your, your fee to step on and off the train, right? Yes. And we have a large ecosystem already, 1,300 over. Is so, BNB Chain controlled by Binance? No, it's not. BNB Chain is community-owned. We have many validators, many community members. Binance kicked it off in September 2020, donated a large bunch of money, but really it's just one contributor. It's a large contributor, but it's a contributor to the community. And, and can you, uh, why would Binance do that? What was the rationale, right? They could have just done it with Ethereum. Why start off this BNB chain? So it's September 2020 when BNB chain was created, formerly called Binance Smart Chain, was because Ethereum back then was, oh, Ethereum is OG. I love Ethereum. I've, I, I, I'm fully sold on an Ethereum ecosystem as well, right? But it was the only one and it was fairly expensive already. So the people who, who kicked off um, BNB chain wanted to give developers and users an alternative choice. We talk about a web tree well, it's always about, I, I mentioned the word abundance earlier. It's you want to enable a world where it doesn't cost you $200 to step on and off the chain, right? I've paid $200 before or 200 plus, you know, when I was doing some transaction before. I don't think that's tenable. I don't think that's sustainable. So BNB chain offers people an alternative, just like many other chains right now. There are many chains as so well. So you got Solana. You got Solana, Avalanche, So Terra. it's primarily price. Price is one thing, but security, but also stability, right? So BNB Chain consistently has more than 1 million daily active users, yeah. right? And hasn't gone down in a year and a half and is inexpensive. So if I'm, so I'm looking at this from the perspective of two stakeholders, right? On the one hand, I've got maybe an audience or potential users who are looking to use uh, decentralized apps that exist on various changes. And on the other hand, we've got founders that want to build companies or build decentralized apps on different chains. I'm looking at these different chains from a perspective of transaction cost, from a perspective of security, and from a perspective of 
usability or ease of developing basically when I'm making these decisions or what are the other factors that are going into this? These are good variables, Vishal. You've got it all down pat. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> just, just, I'm that just trip, making it. That trip to Miami was useful for you. I know. Buzzwords, keywords. So what are the themes and everything that, that you kind of see when you're kind of talking to people and they're, and they're hearing their ideas and where, you know, how, how do you kind of analyze them? I think human behavior doesn't change, but technology amplifies different kinds of behavior and incentivizes different kinds of behaviors such that the spike in terms of y-axis of that human behavior may be more or less depending on incentives. So when I look at from an investment perspective, I retain this human behavior point as a key. Again, we will not change. So then my question then is that, what does Web3 enable that caters to human behavior that exists, that will persist, that will allow us to do things that we might want to actually do, but was not able before. And the other point of view I also take is that when I look at all these new projects and, and builders and all, I would like to be surprised. I like people to bring new ideas to me. I like people to bring in different perspective because again, a few futures unknown is a really great word, right? And I would be the first one to say that I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what the future is going to be. Back in you know, the Web 1, Web 2 days, we, no one really expected, you know, we had Pets.com that died, right? Yeah. But, but and e many others. And just many others, exactly. But e-commerce has taken off, right? Mm -hmm. Now we can order mm -hmm. at 2 a.m. like a bunch of alcohol or toilet paper if we want to, to the doorstep, essentially. So, so look, the point being is that all of us here are eternal optimists, right? We believe that the neuron activity that we do Somehow will move the world forward. Somehow will make the world more efficient, better, safer, happier, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I, it occurred to me now listening to Gwen that Web3 in some ways is hyper-Darwinism at its best. Okay, so I'll, I'll unpack that. So when you looked at back in the day, 25, 30 years ago, when the personal computer platform was built, there were many different flavors, right? There was you know, Windows, there was Apple, there's Commodore, there was BBC, there's so many esoteric things, right? And then because of market forces, one dominant company just became that layer. And then in the mobile operating system, we had Nokia, we had Sony, and then we had also, and then Android came out and iOS, and now we've got two. And what's fascinating to me is that Web3 is actually the same thing. There are many different tracks that are competing with each other. But the crazy thing is, one is at an unprecedented, almost violent pace of Darwinism. And two, they're actually not completely owned by a commercial interest. It's like they, these, these, these people give birth to a specific entity that is self-governing, and then they pit it against each other. And so, of course, you know, for example, if it turns out that you own 50% of the tokens of a certain thing, that's how you express your financial interests. But it's, an, it's another iteration, in my opinion, of something that's been going on for a long time. It's just it's very confusing. And as a result, older people, people like me, could easily write it off and say, nah, this is all bullshit. But if you look at it from a perspective, it's actually a very amplified, specific flavor of hyper-Darwinism. So Gwen, is that just like the amplification of human behavior? We're all back to financial, <laughs> financial but motivations. Actually, sadly, like I think financial motivation has motivated many people to come to Web yeah. three. For for me, I I I I'm a bit sad, but but that's human nature again, right? Like for me, I love use cases and tech, but but you're absolutely right. You know, Gwen, as as you were talking about this idea, and I and I, and I agree with it, which is that human behavior is surprisingly predictable and inelastic, and it takes like a great stimulus to change it. And I was thinking of examples where, and you said technology has the prospect of changing that in some meaningful way. And I was thinking about a few examples that came to mind. And one of them is actually on my wrist, which is the Apple Watch. And the funny thing is that this concept of 10,000 steps and people actually looking to complete activity circles, I think that there was a behavior that was precipitated by a technological change. This idea that you should walk 10,000 steps or something has been around for a very, very long time. Just be healthy and active. But until there was 
a technological way to monitor, incentivize, prompt, and show you how much you're failing at achieving that goal on your wrist on a day-to-day basis, the number of people that were participating in that was very, very low, right? And now I know so many people who are taking activity monitors, whether it's the Apple Watch or something else, a lot more seriously because there's a constant reminder that has been developed through technology about how you're failing in a certain way, right? Yeah, and also marketing, right? 10,000 steps. Great yeah, round yeah, number. Exactly. Why not 8,000? Yeah, exactly, exactly right? Exactly. 8,000 maybe exactly. for Asia. Do you remember something yeah. about Mary? Like seven-minute abs? What about eight minutes? No, it's eight not, minutes is too long. Uh, yeah, Sexy, don't so, get yeah, a burn. Yeah. It's seven. Wait, What's wrong with you? I didn't watch that movie. Oh, <laughs> it, was a great oh, one. it was one of my favorites. Yeah. Something about Isn't Mary. Isn't it an old movie? It's, it's, it's yeah, an old ben movie. Stiller, it's an old uh, movie. Classic. Gwen, three predictions for Web3. Ooh, Vishal. Okay. So I don't think the world will be entirely decentralized. I think the world will be a mix of centralization and decentralization. Decentralization is not needed for everything. That's number one. Number two, I do believe in a multi-chain world. There will be many different platforms, protocols, blockchains that will emerge to serve different use cases because different use cases, has di- they have different requirements. Finance will require more security, for example. Gaming requires uh, faster transactions, as an example, right? Third is that a prediction, wow, that I don't know what, I don't know, I keep re- repeating this, but really like I want to be surprised. I, I bet my prediction is that I will be surprised constantly. Can, can that be a prediction? That's yeah. a good one, yeah. yeah. I think that's a good one. My oh. prediction is I that in five years' one. time, everything I say, at least 70% will be incorrect. Oh my gosh, yes. And I that's, hope that would be the case. Yeah, right? I love that. Exactly, yeah. So Thank you, Hian, for giving me my third one. You're very it, 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 Elaborating on Happy that, yeah. Happy to assist. Vishal, <laughs> <laughs> you're doing a great job is moderating. Is it going to be, <laughs> be peaceful coexistence between the chains or is it going to be some sort of like, you know, deterrence by nuclear arms or something like that. Wow, not quite nuclear, I think. Yeah. No, no, no. I think it's peaceful because I think, again, I keep emphasizing this, but we're so early, everyone's like... It's a friendly... Friendly. ...community of it builders. It is. Yeah, we go to each other's uh, like conferences, you know, and we're just holding events. You know, I was speaking on... I've been speaking so on panels just... with fellow people from other L1 chains, L2 chains, right? So because we all know we are in the trench. We talked about startups earlier. We're all in the trenches together. It's true. I don't know about that. I mean, Gwen, like seven, eight years ago, all the VCs were all, we were all going to each other's offices. And now there's a couple of people with, you know, sharp elbows. What's a sharp elbow? Sharp elbow. Sharp oh, sharp elbows. elbows. Sharp yeah. elbows. Oh, sharp <laughs> el- Elmo. <laughs> yeah. Elmo. Elmo goes, hey, hey Elmo, yeah. get away. Hey. Well, okay, oh. yeah, that's true. But also because... Is, the, is it starting to happen, you know, or can you see it start to Again, happen? human behavior doesn't change. Exactly, yeah. There will always be people like that. Are there rivalries? For sure. Any famous rivalries? Oh, for sure, for sure. And famous rivalries, yes. There's also famous pseudo or non-rivalries, right? Because a lot of people are... Look at Hien going into a gossip segment my, my of this yeah. podcast. Yeah. You know, he's just well. When I say that, a, because like in the crypto world, um, you're, well, not everybody's like yeah, not everybody. You know, is is uh, you know who they are in their real lives, oh. right? You have anonymous, less pseudo anonymous people. So anonymous could be like again, you have a. NFTs, a profile pic or whatever, some random thing, not your name, some XYZ, right? Or, or others, just like you, you, they started off like that, but you know, now you know who they are, right? So semi-pseudo or non. So yeah, that definitely is. Okay, again, human nature doesn't change, right? So for sure. I'm, I'm just going to repeat again. It's hyper-Darwinism. <laughs> Everyone's being friendly right now because they have no choice okay. to be friendly. And then... Dun, dun, dun. Freddie, who's the analyst on your team that gave here in this concept of hyper-Darwinism? Can Nobody. Please, I just like, came up with it, it right now. Strong and quartered right so, now, so please. So I'm allowed to make my own conclusion <laughs> sitting with inspiring <laughs> human beings uh, like you at, guys. Look at, look at again going, I'm a grown man, I come to my conclusions <laughs> myself. No one's been feeding me research, guys. No. <laughs> I'm going to throw away all my toys out of my cart. <laughs> so do you believe that quantum entanglement is actually the fundamental building block of consciousness and telepathy? as a physicist. Thanks, Kian, for calling me a physicist, but I would like to think myself, but I'm not a <laughs> physicist. Yes, an emergence. 
Wow. See? Okay. Th- I just want to confirm that we can move on. So, so, but, but, <laughs> but this is interesting. So consciousness, no one really knows, yeah. right? So so the way I look at it is that it's, it's, it's a bigger concept called emergence and co- complex systems, right? Oh. Like, what is a complex system? What is emergence? Traffic is one example of emergence. You are all in your car, in your blue Ferrari like Vishal. <laughs> With the windswept back hair. <laughs> exactly. And you are following certain rules. You see red, you stop. You see yellow, you slow down and stuff like that, right? But what comes out of it are traffic jams or traffic and traffic jams. Oh. So this is an example of a complex system and an emergent phenomenon. Emergent phenomenon is everywhere. And I do believe that consciousness is an emergent phenomenon. Oh. So it's, it's interesting. It's like, I mean, another way to think about it is that also that everything is permeated or everything is imbued with some degree of consciousness, but some things are higher than others, right? Consciousness yeah. that's very basic yeah. can be an, an awareness of where you are in space or a certain sort of like location at any point in time. Maybe this table knows exactly where it is, right? That we're sitting yeah. on. Yeah, what point does it tip over to being sentient, right? Self-consciousness. Yeah, yes. self-consciousness, right? Yes. I think that's super interesting. Like in this a dog. Hmm. Or an amoeba. Look at mm. this. Look at us asking good or questions. Or a mitochondria to in your blood right now. soaking up <laughs> glucose right now. <laughs> <laughs> Making so, Hien angry. But Hien, so, ask the personal question. So, Gwen, outside of your Web3 and your professional career, like share with the viewers, like what do you do for hobbies and what are your other interests? Okay, I, I like adventure sports. I, I wakeboard, snowboard, dive. Um, I've tried kite surfing. I can go independently each direction. I can't turn. <laughs> no. Have you done the e-foil? I've, tr- I've like tried. Cameron? E- no, I haven't tried e-foil. I've tried the e-board, which is very scary mm. to me. Yeah, that's no, so, no, it's like low well, it's on the different. ground. It doesn't oh. fall on, on. Yeah, so it's a bit different. I, I, I dance. I've been dancing since I was five. Any specific dance, like a ballroom dance or unstructured dance or just... <laughs> Unstructured dance means contemporary. Yeah. Not brownian motion, okay? Do the brownie. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I, I trained in classical ballet for seven years when I was wow. young. But I've done a lot. Like, I've done a lot of street. I've done African. I've done West Coast swing, contemporary, a lot of unstructured movements. Hien. Is there any videos exactly. of you on YouTube? There? Actually, there is. My, oh my gosh. gosh. You should totally watch it. I also have a video of Hien dancing, which <gasps> I will show you after this. So That's unstructured. That's definitely unstructured. <laughs> <laughs> That's unstructured and uncoordinated. Yeah. <laughs> Post Mahjong victory dance. You can, you can, oh. yeah, yeah. You can actually. Um, What's the music to that? Yeah. You can actually build a security protocol, protocol just by analyzing my <laughs> movements to be so random. I, one of the hobbies that I remember you speaking with us about is improv, Ooh. which I find fascinating, right? Oh, because you do it's improv. A, yeah. Well, again, I've dabbled. I've Stand dabbled. Up imp- Stand no, up. no, no. Improv, improv theater, which is basically a form of improvising where you don't know what your scene partner or your. Oh, let's do some improv right now. Come on. Okay, let's try. Yeah, let's do some improv right now. This, this, whole, right now. this whole show is improv. Yeah, let's do some improv. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Everything's improvising, right? How do we do improv? Come on, let's go. Everyone down their wines right now and let's go. <laughs> okay, so we can do a simple one where we have we all have to say yeah. one sentence, but the sentence has to be the next the start Correct. of the next letter. Oh, I want to do this. Oh. I want to do this. Oh, damn it. Wait, wait, start with the okay, next okay, letter. Okay, so, so for example, let's say you said, oh, damn it, right? Oh, I start so with you No, no, you're not. It's the O. Oh, so damn P. it. Oh. So then you for P. Oh, H, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I supposed to have the P. Yeah. Please don't do this. Oh, you mean you, after the O is P? So Q. Q. Question whether that's a reasonable exercise. Really, Hien? S. <laughs> <laughs> and scene. Stop I don't doing know. this. He's like, he's like, he's like son of a bitch. Yeah. Stop doing it. Go, 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 go. I was having to actually yeah. to go through the alphabet every single time. I, know. I was like, what's next? It's like you're hey. thinking, right? You're <laughs> thinking. Yeah, I love improv. Can I tell a fun fact of yeah, yeah, my go. improv? Yeah, I'm go. really bad at it. Okay. So so uh, my first time being introduced to improv comedy was, I watch a lot of Who's Line Is It Anyway, right? I love that. Yeah, I love it. Right? Show. It's outrageous, but it's great. Exactly. Shot from improv, Skills. right? So I was talking to, to to a friend and he was like, hey, you know what? Because he does stand-up comedy. Isaac, here, everyone here knows Isaac, right? Isaac, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. right? Of uh, Shop Back Now, right? Yeah. So previously co-founder of Honest Beat and Shop Back. And so he's a good friend and business partner. And so he's been doing stand-up and he was telling me, hey, um, oh, there's an improv jam this Sunday, right? A um, bunch of friends, you know, including a lot of comics. 
do you want to join? I'm like, yeah, yes, I want to go. I turn up at 2 p.m., basically on time. Isaac wasn't there. And there were 12 people. They were, they were like, hey, who are you? I'm like, oh, I'm Isaac's friend. Okay, 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 come in, come in, come in. Super welcoming, really welcoming. And they were performing, performing, right, jamming, really funny. And then it, they called me up on stage. Oh, I love that. Ooh. I love that. They were like, he had instructions. Your partner will say one thing, you will say another, and then that's it. And then, then the scene partner reply again. So three lines, right? That's one yeah. of the games. Yeah. No kidding. I think my first time, I was my turn to speak. I literally froze for 20 seconds. Yes, yes. I just stared at the, at the at, I can't remember who it was. I just stared at my scene partner. I said that 11 other people sitting down in front of me. I just went back and forth and kudos to them. Their eyes were not judgy. They were like, it's okay, it's okay, you know, basically. And, and they hinted me something, say this, right? Or like, like say something along those lines. And then I said, and then, yeah, so basically I was copying or following. But so I was just like complete stage fright. Like I felt the pressure to be funny. I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so difficult. Completely bombed basically, right? Yeah. But since then, like, I I, I continued turning up for the improv jams three hours every Sunday. But I think what's important about this was that I was so scared but it was so important to me, it was so fun, a project to me that I would force myself to turn up, but I was so scared I would turn up late. I would literally be around the venue and I, was, I had to muster enough courage to like walk in. So my goal to myself, this is part of my self-improvement kind of thing, I was like, okay, Gwen, you have to turn up. That's your only goal, turn up. Then later on, after several weeks or something, my goal was to turn up on time, and I did. Then the next goal was to perform, and I did. So I, I improved and I, I learned improv with a whole bunch of amazing, welcoming, friendly people who, yeah, they are great friends today. I think that really probably gave me the deepest insight as to who you are tonight. Thank you for sharing. Because it shows that you're always, to, to me, it's something about you is always about pushing the frontier. And you're never happy unless you, you are at the frontier. So even professionally and personally. And it's, we see this all the time with all, so true. many of these entrepreneurs, right? And yeah. that's why it's a joy to still be in this ecosystem, despite the fact that we're, I mean, I'm a venture capitalist, so I don't get to see this every single day. But Gwen, that was so amazing. Yeah, life's, yeah. life's a wonderful exploration. And really, really yeah. thank you, Gwen, for coming on the show. And I think all of us are looking forward to whatever next iteration of Gwendy we see in the future. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Thank See you, you so much. Week.